What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, still in Omaha, I'm John Manuel back in Durham. Aaron, uh, they, we, you shut down uh, Rosenblatt Stadium last night, and the South Carolina Gamecocks shut down Rosenblatt Stadium in thrilling fashion, winning their first national championship. Shockingly, the Gamecocks finished first in our final Baseball America Top 25 rankings, but uh, and, and with no surprise, UCLA second. But uh, obviously, a, a, an emotional night in a lot of ways. It always is when a national championship is settled. Let's talk about the games first before we talk about Rosenblatt Stadium. And I thought you had a very telling quote in your last blog post from Steve Pivovar, the unofficial historian of the Caldwell Series, Omaha World Herald, really the beat writer on the Caldwell Series. And basically, Piv said, you just don't see, I never thought I'd see a team win six straight games in the Caldwell Series. That's what it took uh, for South Carolina. That's what they did. They didn't, they didn't have to win six straight. They could have lost last night and still won the title, but... Just how unique of a story in a, in a team was this South Carolina team to lose its opener and come back and win six straight games in that field? It was a, it was a special team, you know. I mean, um, it was the proverbial team of destiny. You could just feel it kind of building as the series progressed. And uh, I was walking around the stadium um, one final time, I guess, before the game started on Tuesday, and I just walked all the way around the, the concourse. And as I walked, you, you just had the feeling that it was going to be the last night. It just had. It was something in the air, you know, it's hard to put your finger on, um, but uh, South Carolina just had the mojo, I mean, um, UCLA, UCLA played uh, so poorly in the first game, that's that's what made me think, uh-oh, I don't think UCLA's going to win this series like I predicted, you know? But you know, that said, they very well could have won it, I mean, geez, they had the bases loaded, you know, with, with um, uh, Nico Gallego. The ninth. Uh, they had the lead, you know, in the eighth inning, I mean, they, they played till the 11th, I mean, certainly were in position to win it, um, but uh, South Carolina, once again, I mean, as they have all series long, they just got, they just got heroic performances. I mean, Matt Price, to me, it, it's, that, that's one thing that stands out. I mean, well, these teams that make these kind of runs, um, you know, they have a Kevin Gunderson, they have a, yeah. uh, a Brandon Burke, they have an Andrew Kerrigan, you know, from, that's actually who, who Price reminds me a lot of, is Andrew Kerrigan, he's a power guy. Absolutely. And, and really lifted his club. Um, just like Kerrigan did, except he lifted his club to a national title. Um, better breaking but, ball than Kerrigan, too. That's right, yeah. Certainly better breaking ball but similar, than Kerrigan ever was. Even. But, similar, uh, similar competitiveness, though. I, I like that comparison. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at Price, I mean, we talked about Blake Cooper, of course, who was my vote for most outstanding player. I thought that was the um, best. I thought that was the better vote, too. Nothing against Jackie Bradley Jr., but I thought Cooper yeah. was the mop. His last two starts were just... So huge, and with all the attention given to UCLA starters and all the uh, the way they performed, the way that Garrett Cole pitched against TCU, I think it was easy to understand why UCLA 
was the favorite going into the finals just because you had Cole rested and ready and Rasmussen showed in the second game how good he was and we all saw how good Trevor Bauer was in his first two starts. So it was really just logical that uh, UCLA would be expected to have the advantage, but nobody told Blake Cooper that. Yeah, you know, and, and I mean, how could you really pick against UCLA? I think everybody, you know, all the, the people on a national level pretty much picked the Bruins, and I think most of the South Carolina people thought that the Bruins were going to win as well. And, um, you know, when you get to the finals, both teams had to play well to get there. They both had momentum. I mean, UCLA, I thought, had shown a lot of character um, by bouncing back on Saturday to beat TCU and really dominate TCU. Agreed. They had come out very flat the day before. Um, so, you know, both those teams had been playing well. It's not like South Carolina had all momentum. Um, South Carolina just, again, they just got big performances, and, and especially the pitching. I mean, to me, like I said, in addition to Price and Cooper, you had Michael Roth, who... Uh, Unbelievable. Four, four appearances, uh, 16 innings over this thing, and had like a one one six ERA, I think. I mean, he was just outstanding. He was outstanding, and he's kind of like the Danny Turpin of the to keep making Oregon State comparisons. But uh, a guy who wasn't in their weekend rotation all year, a guy whose longest outing previous to the Omaha had been, what, four innings? Yeah, four, and, well, four and a third, and that was back in 2009. His longest outing this year, I think, was around three and a third. And then he goes out, and he doesn't just, you know, we, we, we you get the press release, and I tweeted, South Carolina's going to throw Roth against uh, Clemson. It was like a staff day for the Gamecocks. So we talked about how they've staffed Sundays all year. Well, maybe they should have used Michael Roth on their Sundays because that guy was insanely good against Clemson. And then he was very good again against a UCLA team that's less lefty-leaning than Clemson was. Uh, what, it seems like the bullpen really was the biggest separator for South Carolina, Aaron. Their bullpen where they had eight, their first 14 innings without a walk in in Omaha. Uh, besides uh, Price, there are other relievers. And Roth contributed as a reliever who went and started and was that good. And then talk about the other relievers they used because uh, they had real depth with all their sidearm submarine guys. Right, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's to me, you know, I think that was uh, pretty much the strength of this team all year. If you had to pick one thing that was their strongest asset, I think it was their bullpen. Um, and, you know, in addition to Price, I mean, it starts with having the anchor back there, the power-armed anchor, the closer. Yep. But around him, you know, they had the guys from the right side, like Jose Mata and John Taylor. And, you know, they could mix and match those guys. And, uh, you know, Mata pitched very well the other day, um, you know, when it mattered. And, and, and so did Taylor. I mean, both those guys have pitched well. Um, you had Tyler Webb from the left side uh, who, who came in and got one out yesterday when they needed him to. Um, of course, you had Roth from the left side. I mean, they just had all kinds of Stephen Neff from the left side. Just lots of different parts, you know. And, and um, they were able to mix and match all year long on Sundays and, you know, succeeded with that approach. Uh, and they were able to mix and match in Omaha when they needed to. Um, so, I mean, their bullpen, you really can't say enough about how important it was um, for their championship run. And, you know, I like to talk about, uh, you know, Jim Morris and the University of Miami's uh, ability to use the bullpen and how they always develop a good bullpen. I need to start saying that for Ray Tanner. Because in the time I've been at BA, you know, back in 2000, they had the Killer Bees, was Boak Knight, and then Peter Bauer. But then there was Scott Barber in their bullpen who had, like, 18 saves. He was the other Killer Bee guy. I think he had, like, eight wins and 18 saves as their number one relief pitcher. They had a slender guy, uh, Blake Taylor, who now does some radio in the Columbia area, uh, who was a big closer for them. They had Chad Blackwell on some of those teams that went to the Caldwell Series earlier so, you know, Ray Tanner has had that ability, whether his pitching coach is Mark Calvey as it is now or whether it was Jerry Myers back then. But Ray Tanner clearly knows how to use a bullpen. Uh, 
I remember the first game, I think it was, uh, you know, that rain-delayed game, a suspended game against Oklahoma. He got booed for going and using three pitchers and, and, and to get three outs in one inning. But clearly Ray Tanner knows how to use a bullpen, and yeah. that confidence in his bullpen, that bullpen depth, that was a huge reason of why University of South Carolina won its uh, first significant national championship, really in any sport. First team one, I guess that one was a track and field, which is kind of a hybrid sport. Uh, yeah, but I think baseball is a big deal for them, and uh, it means a lot to that program. Uh, I guess the other factor, of course, for South Carolina is it's an opportunistic offense, Aaron, not a great offense, but boy, the top of their lineup, once Evan Marzilli, they rode that hot hand of Evan Marzilli in their leadoff spot. Marzilli, Merrifield, Bradley, Walker, left, right, left, right. That was a gauntlet for opposing pitchers to, to try to navigate. I think his 0 for 5 really was a reason that his his uh, celebration was kind of muted compared to his teammates. I think oh, he was. I thought he, I thought he just, you know, to me, watching, I watched Jackie a little bit, and he just had a very content, uh, peaceful smile on his face looking around. You know, oh, okay. I think he was just really taking taking in the whole thing. Good. Um, that, that's how I interpreted him. Well, that's good, because I thought it was a little strange. He really wasn't going nuts. You know, I, I actually did have an email, a question for you. Did Jackie Bradley Sr. play baseball? Not that I know of. I've, I've looked into this a little bit. I, I can't find any record of that. I want. I want. I want to just start calling him Jackie Bradley instead of Jackie Bradley Jr. You know, but he wants to be Jackie Bradley Jr. Year, but uh, I think JBJ is just. I think it's stuck. It's no AJKJ, but it's pretty good. And he's. <laughs> and he does. You deserve credit because in our preseason three strikes on the college preview issue, Jackie Bradley Jr. was your pick to click of the guy. Who could burst on the scene this year? Um, who did you compare? Who was the guy who did that last year? I forgot who you. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of compared it to Jared Parker as a guy who could make that leap. That's it. More just to being a college baseball superstar. And that's what he is. Jared Parker maybe took a step backward as a junior, but uh, I don't see Jackie Bradley Jr. taking any steps backward. I don't think so either. It's a Baseball America podcast with Aaron Fit and John Manuel. Thank you for joining us. Uh, all our podcasts are brought to you by MLB Network. I neglected to say that earlier. And uh, we enjoy working with MLB Network. And Aaron, uh, on the college baseball tip, let's talk about the vanquished as opposed to the victors. Uh, UCLA, the Bruins have to be expected, I guess, now to get back to Omaha. They were very freshman heavy in their lineup. Their best hitter, Ramatula, was a sophomore. He obviously didn't play in Omaha. But Bo Amaral, freshman. Nico Gallego, I believe, is a sophomore. Um, so a lot of key pieces of that lineup you would expect would be back. And, of course, the best part of their team was their starting pitching. So while they lose probably Rasmussen, second-round pick, and Klein, who was heroic in defeat last night out of their bullpen, uh, third-round pick, they might lose Goodell, even though he was a 24th-round pick as a sophomore eligible. They do have Cole and Bauer coming back. They could get Goodell back. How, how, how impressed were you by the Bruins in Omaha and what do you expect for them looking forward to 2011? I was extremely impressed. You know, I I, uh, I doubted them along the way quite a bit. I didn't think they could beat, beat Fullerton, um, and they almost didn't. You know, they went out away from losing that Super Regional, and yep. they found a way. Um, I didn't think that uh, they would beat Florida in the first game. I didn't think they would beat TCU. Um, and, you know, they proved me wrong at every step until the end when I finally jumped back on the bandwagon and they lost two in a row. <laughs> That's funny. But, uh, you know, they... 
with their pitching, but uh, the, their toughness with their resilience, with the, the, the quality of their offense. You know, they, uh, it, was, it was tough at bats one through nine. It wasn't, uh, they didn't have the Jackie Bradley and the, and the Christian Walker in the middle, um, but they had, I think, I thought a, a deeper lineup. Uh, it turned out South Carolina ended up getting contributions from the bottom of his lineup as well. I mean, that was a shot. He had the two big, uh, the big two-run single on on Monday, and then um, Scott Wingo, of course, scored the winning run in the eleventh on on Tuesday after dropping that leadoff walk. So. That was a real shock that South Carolina got offense from the bottom of his lineup because they hadn't been doing it most of the season, and especially in Omaha. Two obvious teams. Who was the most impressive to you in, in Omaha? Was it TCU with the fact that they won three games out there and their competitiveness? Uh, was it maybe someone like uh, like a Clemson who we really you know, didn't expect to get to Omaha and had a pretty good showing? How hard does it have to be, though, to be a Clemson fan right now? Yeah. I mean, not only was it 2002 all over again, but South Carolina closed the deal this year, this time. That, that has to hurt if you're a Clemson fan. Clemson fans are crawling in a hole right now, I assure you. Um, <laughs> all their friends who went to South Carolina are rubbing their noses in it right now, as is their way. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that, that rivalry, that's the nature of that rivalry. No know, doubt. They, oh, no doubt. No, you nailed it. They each other uh, at any chance they get. So, you know, you know it's, not, it's not pretty for Clemson fans right now. But uh, uh, to answer your question, I mean, TCU, to me, was a team that was really impressive. And, and I think if they were on the other side of the bracket, you know, maybe they, they would have emerged because, um, you know, South Carolina was a national champion, but... Um, would, they, would South Carolina have been able to beat TCU twice in a row like it did to Clemson? I'm not as convinced. I, I agree. I know I agree. I think the way the bracket set up, uh, that we, we, you know, I just think it's funny. We all, we all, we both agreed. Boy, the bracket with Florida and UCLA and TCU and uh, who else was on that side of the bracket? Florida right. State. We thought that was the stronger side of the bracket, and the champion was going to come from that side. And the other side was like, boy, toss the four teams in a hat. Who knows who's going to win? But we all thought Arizona State would win that bracket, you know. And Arizona State was non-competitive, and South Carolina comes back from uh, losing its opener to win the whole bracket and the whole thing. Uh, pretty impressive showing by the Gamecocks. And you know what strikes me about this also is it's not like you know Fresno State or Oregon State, even in '07, their second title, where they came in as the underdog and they, they just you know they were really hot. The bats especially were hot in uh, multiple senses. Yes. And No, they South Carolina won the way. Crazy hot streak. They just, they just grinded out a bunch of, you know, white knuckle wins. They they won the way they won all year. They yeah. don't score a ton. They get a lead because their starting pitching is good, and then they hold on with their bullpen. That's kind of what they did. And then against in the second game, they fell behind, but they didn't fall too far behind again because of their pitching. So yeah. it was uh, it was like you said, uh, it was not like where Fresno just bludgeoned teams or Oregon State in '07. Where they just, you know, they were playing with house money once they got in the tournament, and they just 
play with such confidence. I mean, South Carolina played with confidence, but it was tenuous because yeah. they knew, hey, next inning we've got uh, Wingo and <laughs> Wingo and Haney are going to hit, and they're not going to get, we're not going to score next inning. And even sometimes other games, well, we're not going to score this game more than three or four runs. I mean, how many runs did they score the whole tournament? I mean, the whole event, they scored 35 runs in seven games. They averaged five runs a game. That's wow. not that's not usually what you do in Omaha. But what they do, they gave up 16 runs. So they had a 215 ERA. I'm looking at the stats. And they only made six errors and 286 chances. So they, only, they had the best fielding percentage. And that's – we said they were a pitching and defense team. They played the role they got sold to. They, they, they were pitching and defense. And for once, the Southeastern Conference team was better at pitching and defense not the Pacific Ten team, not the West Coast team. So I do think, Aaron, it's a pretty significant. Historically, you pan back. I think it's important for the Southeastern Conference, uh, you know, to get a champion that's not LSU. It only had one, which was Georgia back in 1990. But now you have back-to-back SEC teams as national champions in LSU and South Carolina. And now you have another another team that has a tradition like South Carolina has now established Okay, in the last decade, they went to Omaha four times. They've won the national championship. They have big leaguers. They have Justin Smoke in the big leagues. He's going to continue to just kind of spread the gospel of South Carolina baseball. You're going to have Reese Havens going to get to the big leagues soon, probably with the Mets. I think it's important for them, for their program. I think it's going to help them take to another level. But they've already got the ballpark to take advantage of it. They already recruit nationally. I mean, Marzilli's from Rhode Island. Part of Walker's from Pennsylvania. I mean, they're from, they're already from around the country anyhow. They already recruit Florida very well. Uh, is this going to set South Carolina up as some kind of dynasty? And how how important do you think this is? I mean, like if the Pac-10 and if UCLA had won this series, the Pac-10 would have seven of its current members with national championships. I believe it is. It might even have been eight. Washington and Washington State have not won national titles. Oh, and then Oregon will not have won a national title, obviously. But if UCLA had won, you'd have seven of the ten Pac-10 schools with championships three of the last five with the 2-0 State and UCLA. And I just think it would be no contest the Pac-10 stronger than the SEC. But South, the SEC winning, I think, really validates that league as more than just an LSU one-trick pony. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's, that's a good way to put it. And, uh, you know, the league itself, I mean, to me, the league itself, like the ACC, all those teams that hadn't won before, it doesn't mean they're not good programs. Right. I mean, right. they're frauds, you know, Arkansas and, you know, Mississippi and, um, you know, all those teams that, that, that have, have really nice um, runs but haven't taken home first place. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think it's overblown a little bit. Um, it's important to win the national title for sure, but I think teams, you know, take too much flack for not winning it. And, and especially in the case of the ACC, I mean, all the 12 of those teams, or 11 of those 12 teams, I should say, are in the same boat as, uh, as all the SEC teams except for three now. Yeah, but but it's nice that the SEC can now say we've got a third champion for sure. Yeah, and I think I think it's important for the league, and obviously that league, the SEC's fans have a strong identity. They think of the SEC uh, very strongly. ACC fans do as well, but not so much for baseball. They do for other sports. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. We'll wrap up, Aaron. Just uh, I don't know if you want to give a sneak peek of your eight for Omaha. It sounds like UCLA. I guess who else, who's the next most likely club that went to Omaha that's likely to be back next year? Florida. I mean, UCLA and Florida, to me, are the two teams that, you know, last year, I think, looking forward, we thought Texas and Virginia would be preseason one and two. Right. Um, And And they they were. were. And, you know, they had great seasons, and they fell short of Omaha, but 
Um, this, this year, looking forward, I mean, to me, it feels like UCLA and Florida are those two teams. Yeah, I think Florida is uh, the big question. The Gators have to answer is uh, about to replace Kevin Chapman in their bullpen and Matt Dendecker in center they'll field. Have, no problems on the mound. I mean, they're just they're overflowing with good arms. They'll find another closer. I'm not worried about that. And, and Dendecker was certainly a nice piece, but again, I mean, they're just so deep and so young. I think that they're. Uh, I think they're loaded, and I think they'll be back next year, and I think they're going to make some noise in Omaha next year. Yeah, the only the real question is how do you get Austin Maddox and Preston Tucker in the lineup at the same time? And I think playing Austin Maddox at third base was fine this year, but when they got to the postseason, you could tell they weren't really comfortable with him being at third base, and they're going to have to figure out a way to get those two guys. They really both should be first basemen, right? and they're going to have to figure that out. But that's a, that's a good problem to have. Hmm, how do I get my two best hitters in the lineup at the same time? Right. You know, that's a... That's a good problem for Kevin O'Sullivan to have. Uh, Aaron, tremendous job, as always. Uh, your fourth year as the beat writer here at Baseball America and College Baseball. I just think uh, nobody does it better. And just to always enjoy doing the podcast with you and look forward to uh, seeing you back here as I have a safe travels uh, back from Rosenblatt. Yeah, you know, it's been a lot of fun, and this year especially was, was special. Um, you know, and, and uh, there were... There were a lot. There's a lot going on yesterday, and, and um, a lot to take in. You know, I thought the NCAA did a pretty good job uh, with the post-game Rosenblatt um, ceremonies. And I wish I'd a, seen. I wish I'd seen that myself, because boy, ESPN's end of broadcast montage left me wanting. Really, it was no one shining moment. That's for sure. And then you wrote about they kind of had a one shining moment type deal on the scoreboard there. I was very disappointed that I missed that. Yeah, it was well done, and you know, and. and you would have liked it too because they had you two in the background. City of Shining Light. Yeah, um, sub, what a, what a, what a uh, often used subhead here at Baseball America, City of Blinding exactly Lights. Exactly right. But, uh, and then, you know, it was kind of a neat moment where they had the, the lone trumpet player come out and, and, uh, and perform a, a really slow, kind of soft um, version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. And uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was, I think it was very tastefully done. I think they did a good job with it. Well, the city of Omaha does a great job with the series, and uh, I think there's a lot of trepidation going forward, Aaron, because yeah. it's the unknown, and nobody knows what the atmosphere will be like. And then you have that, you know, the, the Saturday games, the if necessary games that both became necessary and were both sparsely attended. I mean, a combined 23,000 people, and I think it kind of made everybody worry a little bit. Attendance was down this year. And uh, there's a lot of nervousness, uh, the cost of the new ballpark, the seats are going to be expensive. And yet uh, the finals provided uh, two great atmospheres and an amazing final game. It seems to be sending everybody out with better feelings. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was really um, an ending befitting of, of Rosenblatt and, and his rich tradition. I think, uh, you know, I was very glad it was a 2-1 to game, 11 innings, and, and a walk-off. That I thought was really a worthy champion. I mean, uh, the kind of champion that, that Omaha really loves and gets behind. You know, one of those great, it's a great color teams that just finds a way. That's, and, uh, it, that's, was, it was a nice, nice story. I thought. And that's a tremendous point. I think uh, South Carolina fans are going to start being like, uh, like LSU fans and Texas fans. They're going to expect to get to Omaha, and uh, now they have a championship. I think they're going to be one of the fan favorites in Omaha. That's how you become a fan favorite. That's how you build up a fan base in Omaha. Is you get there a lot and you win. Yeah. And uh, that's how. That's why when the attendance is always better when Texas or LSU or both are involved. And I think you're going to start seeing that South Carolina might start creeping into that category. Yeah, that, that crowd was overwhelmingly pro South Carolina. I mean, it was it was really it was something else. I mean, whenever South Carolina had a big moment, 
interrupted. Well, half of it was media, wasn't it? So, <laughs> a lot of South Carolina media there. Not a lot. Not the same cannot be said for UCLA. So, uh, but uh, the Bruins were worthy uh, runners up, and the Gamecocks worthy champions, like you said. I think uh, it's a great way to put it. And uh, couldn't happen to a better guy, Ray Tanner, Mark Calvi, Chad Holbrook. Those guys are a great group of guys and a great staff. So, uh, and and. Uh, and, and uh, you know, like you said, a fitting send-off for, for Rosenblatt as well. I think that's it from my end, John. I, uh, you know, thanks again for the opportunity to to, uh, to cover this great game. And, uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun, and we'll do it again next year. Absolutely. So for Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. We thank you all for joining us all year on these college podcasts at BaseballAmerica.com. Podcasts are brought to you by MLB Network. And we'll see you next time on another Baseball America podcast. Until then, so long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.